Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, it's Friday. We haven't had an episode of the Bama on three show this week. First of all, uh, had some stuff going on, which kind of kept us from being able to, to record. But then also, you know, we're going to be dialing it back a little bit since it's the off season. We're not going to be doing, trying to do an episode pretty much every day or four out of five uh, weekdays. We'll probably keep it more so to two to three a week. But this week, just kind of dialed it back a little bit more. Needed a break uh, a little bit, but we're back. It's Friday. We got some mailbag questions. We got some news to talk about. But first off, how are you doing on this Friday morning? Uh, awesome, awesome. You know, February is sort of a weird football month for college football fans because once signing day comes and goes, that's sort of it for February. In Alabama, we don't start spring practice until the middle of March. So, uh, Feb- and, and February is a dead period as far as recruiting goes. So it, it sort of is maybe the the least newsy month. Uh, if it wasn't for our friends on the other side of the state, we wouldn't have much to talk about. But, but, uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll find something today for sure. Yeah, and there's a couple of of newsy related topics that we just haven't gotten a chance to discuss. Uh, Joe Cox is being brought in, and you had kind of broke that news to me several days before it happened. But out of respect for your sources and stuff, sometimes you don't like to make that stuff public, which you're all about accuracy and you're all about, you're not worried about getting credit for being first or anything like that. So I really respect that about you, but you had told me and we had already kind of talked a little bit about it back and forth between just the two of us. But now, you know, you can share some of the things that you noticed about, you know, Joe Cox being brought in and just what you think about the hire. And then if you want to, you can go ahead and touch on Zach Mettenberger, the former LSU quarterback, former Georgia and LSU quarterback, I guess people forget he was at Georgia originally uh, but he was or is being brought in to be an analyst, an off-field analyst. So just what are your thoughts on Joe Cox and and Zach Mettenberger? Well, based on the first three hires, uh, the first three new hires, when when Coach Saban hired Traveris Robinson to coach DBs and Coleman Hutzler to coach outside linebackers and then Eric Walford to be the offensive line coach, they, they were all on Muschamp's, Will Muschamp's staff, staff at South Carolina. So I thought they'd make a change at tight end just simply because last year's tight end coach was bought in sort of late. It was an odd hire late in the process. And then they took special teams away uh, from him and gave it to Coleman Hutzler. So I just figured the tight end change was coming. And I also knew that, well, all the other hires were Will Muschamp guys. So looking over Will Muschamp's uh, coaching staffs at South Carolina, I'm like, look, here's Here's Joe Cox, who looks very hireable uh, to Alabama right now because he was with the Charlotte 49ers and in Conference USA. So it just all sort of lined up and made sense to me, and that's exactly what ends up happening. Uh, and, uh, you know, in, in terms of the fit, I mean, we'll see. I mean, obviously, Coach Saban had uh, feels like coaches that worked for Will Muschamp and Will's system 
are very good fits to work for Nick Saban in Saban's system, because as we all know, Will Muschamp's, you know, his, his offense and defense is a, uh, is a carbon copy of what uh, he had done when he worked for Nick. So that's uh, that, that's been the hires. Uh, the only good, you know, I don't, I don't know much about Joe Cox other than he was a quarterback at Georgia. He was the quarterback right after Matt Stafford, you know, this, this weekend's Super Bowl quarterback. Um, Joe Cox followed Matthew Stafford at Georgia uh, as the starting quarterback. And as a coach, I don't know much about him, but he did when he was at Colorado State working for Mike Bobo, he did locate, offer, and recruit Trey McBride to Colorado State. And for those uh, people who are who geek out over the draft, like, like Clint and I do, you'll know the name Trey McBride. He's very possibly the number one tight end in this draft coming up in April. So the fact that Cox uh, uh, evaluated and recruited McBride to Colorado State, that's pretty impressive uh, because obviously he wasn't a very highly recruited guy, but but Joe Cox uh, had an eye for 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 talent, and and now McBride may be uh, the first tight end taken in the draft. Um, Zach Mettenberger, the former LSU quarterback, actually this is fun. Zach Mettenberger was the starting quarterback for LSU against Alabama in the game of the century, the 2011 game, the nine to six game. Uh, that was one of the most famous regular season games Alabama's played under Nick Saban. Zach Mettenberger was a starting quarterback for LSU in that game. Uh, Alabama yesterday announcing the hire of Zach Mettenberg Berger to uh, to work at Alabama as an offensive analyst uh, joining the staff. Uh, pretty interesting. Just goes to show it doesn't matter where where they played or coached in the past. Uh, if Coach Saban feels they'll be an asset to the program, he'll hire them no matter where they played. LSU and Joe Cox from Georgia, Traveris Robinson. We just hired him. He's from Auburn. Uh, doesn't doesn't really matter as long as. Uh, uh, Coach Saban feels like they're good fits. So, so yeah, it looks like our staff is, is pretty complete for uh, this upcoming fall. I don't anticipate any more changes myself, Clint, not even with Bill O'Brien. I think, I think he's going to stay in Tuscaloosa and be the offensive coordinator again. I'm personally happy about that myself. I know uh, some Alabama fans aren't the biggest O'Brien fans. Uh, I, I am. I think he, you know, he's responsible for the quarterback position. All, all his guy did was win a Heisman Trophy. So, I'm 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 cool with O'Brien remaining as offense coordinator, and I, and I think the staff is set for the season. There's something to be said about having continuity with your coaching staff, and especially at your coordinator positions. And you're keeping Pete Golding. I think fans are finally starting to come around on him. What I want Alabama fans to do is to apply the same thinking. At least imagine this idea of where what did you think about Pete Golding last year and the year before. Is he starting to grow on you? Is he starting to improve? Bill O'Brien can do the same thing. Don't completely abandon the idea of Bill O'Brien based off of one season and, and a season in which Alabama went to the national championship. And really, you know, for a majority of the season, it was the offense carrying the defense. And of course, the defense continued to get better. Pete Golding continued to get better and evolve and really learn uh, the personnel that he had and how to utilize them correctly. And, and you know, so that side of the football definitely caught up, but the offense was really what was keeping things ticking. And like you said, you had a Heisman winning quarterback in Bryce Young. So the the fact that they might keep him for a second season, I think that's important. You don't have to spend the spring inserting or implementing a new offense. It is mastering the offense. It is finding the right personnel to fit it. And I think that Bill O'Brien, what people don't understand, when Steve Sarkeesian, who was considered a very good offensive mind, 
when he left Alabama unexpectedly after he called the national championship game, the 2016 season, I guess it was the 2017 national championship. He goes to the Atlanta Falcons unexpectedly. And then he fails miserably there. And a lot of people was like, man, this guy's terrible. And then when he comes back to Alabama, a lot of Alabama fans were upset with the hire. What, yeah, people, what people don't understand about that is he had gone to the Falcons and based off of what Kyle Shanahan had done with Matt Ryan and the play action pass and the way that that was where Matt Ryan had kind of shined, Steve Sarkeesian was asked to change his ways to fit his quarterback. It wasn't Matt Ryan having to change anything. They wanted to keep him comfortable. That made Steve Sarkeesian uncomfortable. If Sarkeesian would have stuck around longer with the Falcons and not come back to Alabama, I think you would have seen him continue to get better because he would have got more comfortable in what he was doing. And I think that you'll see that with Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien was the one that was brought in, and he said, hey, you're changing. We're not changing. The offense is kind of staying the same. You've got to adapt. And I think that that takes a little bit of time. Even a great offensive mind that, you know, one of the best offensive minds or best offensive coordinators that Alabama's seen in the history of its program. That was a guy who went somewhere, had to change his ways, and, you know, his play calling and stuff suffered a little bit. So it's kind of expected. Give him a little bit of time. I like that Alabama is probably going to retain him. Uh, and I think that fans need to be on board with that. As far as Joe Cox, you know, like the hire, uh, Nick Muse was the tight end for South Carolina while he was there. A pretty big part of the offense. Like you said, Trey McBride there with Colorado State, uh, helping get him in there. That was huge. Uh, Zach Mettenberger. Now, granted, was he the starting quarterback for the game of the century or was he just at LSU? Or was it like, no. was it Jordan the, Jefferson? No, he was the starting quarterback in the game of the century. And then they put in Jordan Jefferson. And then after that game, Jordan Jefferson started playing more as a quarterback to the point that Jordan sort of won the job by the time the postseason rolled around. But Zach Mettenberger started the 2011 game, and there's a famous picture, famous meme out there of Mettenberger sort of crawling off the field in that game because he had been he had been hit. hit. But, but you know, maybe was maybe that was that maybe that was. I think you're right. Jarrett Lee, I thought was the quarterback. When, Garrett Lee was 2011 and Mettenberger was 2012. 2012 and 2013 and had some uh, a pretty decent career there with uh, with LSU. I mean, he ended up getting going in the right. sixth round of the Titans, uh, which didn't drafted high. But as a rookie, he ended up starting some games, started some games the next year, and then they had the the chance to take Marcus Mariota. And everybody questioned, you know, what should they do? Uh, should they take Mariota or should they stick with Zach Mettenberger? Trade down? I think. Chip Kelly and the Philadelphia Eagles at the time were really wanting to get Mariota and really wanted to trade up. And people thought build around Zach Mettenberger and they chose to go with Mariota and Mettenberger kind of fell off the map. He played in the AAF. He played, uh, I think he was with like the spring league or whatever. And now he's getting more into coaching. He was an offensive coordinator for a high school there in Tennessee. I think a couple of different places, uh, at least a, an assistant coach at two different high schools in Tennessee over the last couple of years. And now he's, Want to make that next step or take that next step to get into the college game? What better place to do that than Alabama under Nick Saban? So had a good career there at LSU, but I can completely understand, man, back then he, he had gotten to LSU, by the way, he was already there. He was on that roster. He, he was, was on Georgia the in 2009, got arrested for, you know, a violation or excuse me, not arrested, excuse me, got kicked off the team. I want to clarify that got kicked off the team for a violation of team rules ended up going the JUCO route for a year, and then he ended up at LSU for 11, 12, and 13, if I'm not mistaken. 
and started the last two years. So I can understand where you got confused because back then it all runs together. Yeah, I butchered when he started for LSU. That's right. It was 2012 and 2013, not 2011. But uh, one thing I do know about him that is right in terms of a crazy Mettenberger trivia, his mother was Mark Rick's secretary at Georgia. Wow. That's why at Georgia. And, and then yeah. got and that's why he technically lived, you know, right outside of Athens. That's where he was from. Uh, I, that makes sense. Yeah, his mom worked for Mark Rick in the football building, and then then he would eventually get kicked out of Georgia, which must be hard to do when your mom works for the head coach. But uh, but yeah, uh, obviously turned things around, and 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 all things considered, had a, a a decent NFL career or a decent NFL experience at least for a little while, uh, and, and now will be an offensive analyst for Alabama. And it's actually, you know, it's actually a bigger job than, than some people know, uh, and it's valuable or, or Alabama wouldn't do it. A hundred percent. And, you know, we saw A.J. Milley, you know, he, the former UNA quarterback, he was there as an analyst. He got hired away. Uh, Rob Ezel there for a while. You know, I think he's kind of working his way up. But there have been plenty of, of guys who have started off as analysts who end up working their way into being position coaches. I know that Rob ended up leaving to become, I think, the tight ends coach at South Alabama. He was actually the uh, quarterback of my high school team when we won the state championship back in 2006, I guess. So know Rob pretty well. And, you know, he's doing good things there at South Alabama. And I know that he does that great impression of Nick Saban that kind of got him uh, famous back in the day. But his similarities to Nick Saban go way beyond. The confidence in himself, it's not quite cocky even though I think in some ways some people would view it as cocky. It's more just this super very attention to detail kind of guy, very uh, confident in his in himself and his abilities. I think he'll end up being a very good college football coach down the road. I know he's only in his early 30s, but he's starting to work his way up and do some good things. But Zat Mettenberger, he's taking a route that could end up paying dividends for him as far as, you know, like I said, if you're trying to kind of break into the coaching ranks, I remember – you know, speaking of that 2006 state championship team of the year before, they had went deep in the playoffs. My high school team had the defense coordinator, David Reeves. He ended up leaving. He was a great defensive mind, ended up leaving Athens High School to go be a GA with a couple of kids and a wife at Alabama under Nick Saban right after he got to Alabama. I, or he might have got there the year before, but he was there a little bit during the Saban era. And then he was just continuing to work his way up slowly. Now he's the defensive coordinator at UAB. We know that UAB's defense has been fantastic nationally, top 10 unit the last few years. And so he's continuing to kind of get a name for himself. Going to Alabama, you know, Joe Judge, I remember he left, uh, you know, he was supposed to be my defensive coordinator at, at Birmingham Southern when I went there you know, recruited me to go there. And then right before I got there in the fall of 2009, he left to become an assistant special teams coach, if I'm not mistaken, at Alabama. So took a... He's a special team analyst at Alabama, Joe Judge. Uh, That's exactly the role that he had when he was in Tuscaloosa. And then next thing you know, 10 years later, he's the head coach in the New York Giants. And now he's, you know, going back to the Patriots. That didn't end up working out. But that's what working at Alabama and and making that jump from Division Three defensive coordinator to... You know, just being pretty much a special teams analyst, you know, a off the field role kind of thing can do for you as far as your career. So for Zach Mettenberger, thought it was a good call. And, you know, I think he ends up working out pretty well. Another thing I want to touch on very quickly before we get to just a couple of mailbag questions. Alabama had 11 players invited to the combine. I thought that was pretty big. 
pulling up the list now as far as which players it ended up being. So we do know that it was uh, Christopher Allen. He was invited. Jalen Armour Davis, Slade Bolden, Christian Harris, Josh Job, Fedarian Mathis, John Mechie, Evan Neal, LeBron Ray, Brian Robinson, and Jamison Williams. So in my opinion, now it's unfortunate. Jamison Williams is probably not going to get to do a lot because of the injury. John Mechie's not going to be able to do a lot. Really think I would have loved to have seen where Jamison Williams' true speed was at. Would love to see John Mechie run because I think he's faster than people give him credit for. Um, but those are two guys that I feel like could have, I mean, Jamison Williams has already helped himself plenty, but John Mechie, I feel like, could have helped himself. I think probably of those players, the ones that are the one that's going to be able to help himself is Christian Harris. I think athletically, him testing, I think he's going to do pretty well. I would not be shocked if he went from being like an early day two pick, which is where I currently have him pegged, to being like a Patrick Queen type of player where he sneaks into the back half of the first round like uh, Queen did the former LSU linebacker a couple of years ago who now plays for the Baltimore Ravens. But at the very least, I think he's an early second-round pick and going to be a great player. But just what are your thoughts on some of those guys getting invited to the combine and what do you think they can do as far as, you know, we're going to get into the, the scouting and all that stuff a little bit later on, but just what are your general thoughts on, on those 11 guys? Well, first of all, several of them are hurt, so let's see who's healthy and who can really run in Indianapolis. As you said, there's no way Mechie and Jamison Williams will be able to participate. But what about Josh Job? What about Jalen Armour Davis? What about Christopher Allen? Are they healthy enough to participate? So that's kind of my first question is who will actually be a full participant? And secondly, the next thing is who can really help themselves? And, and I agree totally. Christian Harris is a guy that could really move up if he tests well, and I suspect that he will. And I think the most fun thing to do, uh, and we'll, we'll get this going on the on three board, uh, I doubt we'll actually wager because the, the, our on three bosses won't like that very much, but it will be fun. I think the funnest uh, part of the combine will be guessing Slade Bolden's 40 time. And I, and I say that just because, you know, I, I'll have my own guess. I can imagine that if we're doing a guess the Slade Bolden 40 time down to the hundredth of a second, you know, not just four, four, but four, four, eight, I, I think with Slade Clint, you would have guesses that would be as fast as four, four, and you would have guesses, serious guesses that would be as slow as four, eight. You would get, you would get a <laughs> wide variance of guesses, which would make that fun. Most of the time we have a pretty good idea going in what someone's going to run. I think with Slade, you're going to get a wide variance of guesses. So uh, we'll definitely do that on the on three board for, uh, for Slade's runs. Uh, so I, I think I really, and, and he's a guy that's going to really help himself. You know, if he shows up and runs well, if Slade runs up and is running in the four fives, which is what I actually think he's going to run somewhere in the four, five, eight, four, five, nine range is what I would get. Same spot. Yeah. About four. I mean, if I have to be that specific, I'd go about four, five, eight. Uh, but, uh, and if he does run that well, I think he clinches a, a day three selection, which is where he should go. But, I think there's always a possibility he wouldn't be drafted. If he does run a 4-7-1, he's not going to be drafted at all. Uh, so it is big for Slade. Uh, I, th I think he can lock himself down as a guy that is going to go on day three if he runs well. Man, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. As you were talking, and I do think we should do that. You know, it doesn't have to be any sort of betting, but just who can guess the closest 40 times for, you know, some players, uh, whoever ends up participating in running in Slade. 
as you were kind of talking about that, I was thinking I'd probably say four, five, seven, four, five, eight, four, five, nine, somewhere in that range, which, you know, I think would be a pretty good time for him. I think some people might be a little bit surprised that he's that fast. Now, granted, that's not blazing or anything, but for what he's asked to do, you know, short to intermediate stuff, more quick than fast, I guess is the way to put it. But yeah, you know, looking at some of these other guys, I don't think for I think for Darian Mathis is going to be a 10 year NFL player. I really do. He's a great against the run. He's he's a uh, a good enough pa- interior pass rusher. He is, you know, 6'4", 312 pounds. So, so from a size standpoint, definitely checks all the boxes. Fun personality, definitely has that leadership ability, but he does it in a fun way. I just don't think that he's going to go to the combine and like blow them away athletically enough to be able to become like a first round pick. But I think he's fits right along in there with the Ashawn Robinsons and the Duran Reeds and the Dalvin Tomlinsons of like a, a second round pick who ends up being a very good, you know, out uh, Robinson is about to be playing in the Super Bowl this weekend and down the stretch, he, he's maybe been one of the Rams best players and, and he really only plays on early downs. He's more of a run stopping defensive lineman. He did not even offer as much from a pass rushing perspective as an Fedarian Mathis. But I mean, he's been playing great football. They've got Von Miller. They've got, you know, Aaron Donald, who was the best player in the NFL, in my opinion, if you take glory or, you know, the glory positions out of it, as far as, you know, quarterbacks, you know, people always want to give them the, the label. I think the best pure player in the NFL right now is and has been Aaron Donald and, you know, Ashawn Robinson has done a great job playing alongside him and, and really allowing that Los Angeles defense to be one of the top run stopping defenses in the NFL. But, but Arian Mathis really like him. Just don't think a combine type of setting in the interviews. I think he crushes it and blows it away. I think teams are going to love what they, they hear from him from an athletic standpoint. Don't think he's going to do anything to really solidify or improve his draft stock. I think he is what he is, which is a very good player. who's going to start in the NFL for a long time. Evan Neal, we've been talking about him, you know, potentially being a, a, the number one overall pick. You've been talking about that for a while. You were talking about that from what I saw a lot sooner than pretty much any of the big NFL draft experts. And so I'll give you credit for that. There's not a quarterback up there at the top and the Jaguars already have their quarterback. So it made sense, but you were there on Evan Neal and with the Jaguars potentially losing Cam Robinson, another former Alabama offensive tackle, he's hitting free agency. He's been good, not great. I think he ends up signing a good contract somewhere and helps an offensive line, but could very much see, you know, the Jaguars allowing him to walk and they need better protection for Trevor Lawrence. If you want to get him going as your franchise quarterback, get him better protection. Evan Neal makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I, I would I would say today, I, I think Evan Neal has a really good chance of going number one. What I didn't see, well, I would say what I didn't see, what I, what I didn't really anticipate, I think there's going to be legitimate discussion between now and the end of April as to whether Evan Neal is the best tackle in this draft. And that's fair. And, you know, when the, when you're talking about that level of investment, these teams have to be really sure. And Charles Cross from Mississippi State, who, who was a five-star like Evan Neal and, and, and a great player in Starkville, and um, and the big kid from NC State, uh, I'd butcher his name, or I'll, I'll, I'll be better at saying his name before the draft, but but the, the kid with the name from NC State. <laughs> uh, I think there will be some discussion as, as to who's the best tackle, but as of right now, I suspect whoever the Jaguars convince themselves as the best tackle between now and April will be the first pick uh, because there, there's just not a quarterback this year that's worthy of being selected that high. 
and uh, and I don't see anybody trading up uh, to get the quarterback. I think the Jags are sort of stuck with that first pick, and it's going to be either Evan Neal, Charles Cross, or the NC State guy, as I'll refer to him until I'm comfortable to say the name. Yeah, I think it's Equim Iwanu. Uh, that's oh, the way. That, look at the, well, that's the way I've been pronouncing it. Yeah, I think we all know I'm pretty terrible at pronouncing names, but I, I mean, going, it is, yeah, that's what you're going. Yeah, that's what I'm going with, and, and hopefully it's right. I don't mean to be disrespectful if it's wrong, but yeah, Evan Neal. I mean, I think he definitely could survive at left tackle. I think naturally, you know, the player that I've compared him to since high school is Orlando Brown Jr. But I've always said he's a more athletic version because. Orlando Brown, while he was at Oklahoma a few years ago, he just used his natural length and size and, and arm length, you know, tree trunks for arms. It really allowed him to be able to handle speed off the edge, even though he wasn't a top-tier athlete. And then he gets to the combine, he runs like a close to a 640 or something. I think it was like a, right. anywhere from a 5.5 to a 6 flat 40, somewhere in that range, which is pretty slow. You know, that caused him to drop to the third round. The Baltimore Ravens get him. They plug him in at right tackle because they already have a left tackle in Ronnie Stanley. He ends up performing extremely well. Ronnie Stanley gets hurt. They shift Orlando Brown over to the left side. That's where he wants to play. That's where his dad played. And that's where he wanted to spend his career. So when Ronnie Stanley came back, he, you know, wanted out of Baltimore because he didn't want to go back to right tackle. They trade him to the Kansas City Chiefs. And he's done a really good job for them over on the left side. Evan Neal. He's that guy with the, with the size, but he brings a lot more athleticism to the position. And, you know, I was watching this tape quite a bit this past week with him. I did notice that he was fine and he's going to be a dominant run blocker wherever you put him. And I think he could play four of the five offensive line positions, right guard, left guard, right tackle, left tackle. The only spot you're not going to put him is center. But I felt like, especially in his pass sets, he, he looked a lot more comfortable getting out of his pass sets, playing on the left side, probably because that's where he had played for most of his career. You know, and then he goes to guard where he's playing in the phone booth, gets kicked out to right tackle his next year, and that's, uh, you know, everything's the exact opposite. He just looked a lot more comfortable at left tackle, but I think with his size and his, his pure strength and all that stuff, I think he looks more like a right tackle and one that's a future Hall of Fame right tackle, but I also think he could easily survive on the left side and be a very good player there as well. So, Love what he's going to be able to bring to the table. And if I'm the Jaguars, don't mess this up. I mean, that, those other two guys are great players as well. But I think that Evan Neal is who he is. And we all know that he's going to be a great player. Now we'll get to the mailbag portion of the episode. And we'll try to keep it as short as possible. We'll start off with Shelly on Twitter. And she asked, how do you see the backup quarterback position shaking out between Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow? I think Simpson is talented enough to come in and beat him out. I think he is too. I'm a, I'm I'm very, very I'm very very high on Ty Simpson and very high on Milrow. Uh, slightly higher on Ty in the long run in the long term. Uh, in, in terms of the backup quarterback this fall, I see it a couple of different ways. Obviously, Bryce is your starter, but this is probably the end for Bryce. Uh, he, he's expected to go pro after his junior year and be a high pick in the draft. So this will probably going to be it for. Bryce and for that reason alone you need to play the number two guy so you at least go into the following season with someone with some experience so I think if Ty ends up moving ahead of Milrow uh, that, that, that we'd, we'd see him quite a bit what what I, I hope it plays out this way look you can play guys now in four games and still retain the red shirt it seems to me that it would be very smart if you could pick and choose the four games Ty will play 
and then Milrow be the number two guy for, for the other games. That way you can potentially retain Ty's redshirt. And, and Ty's not going to be a guy that sticks around five full years anyway, but you never, you, you never know for sure. You know, you, you could have injuries further down your career and you're glad you had him for the, the five years and not just four. So I know this, I, I think Alabama staff is going to have confidence in both guys just because Ty looks like the better quarterback long-term doesn't mean that Milrow's not good enough or that they're not excited about Milrow. Milrow also brings something to the table that the other two don't. His ability to, to not just run the ball, because Bryce can do that and Ty can do that, but Milrow is such a physical presence running the ball. Think Jalen Hurts, but faster. That, that's what Milrow is. And I think that weapon can't be ignored. You can't just not use that. So I think from Milrose running alone, he's going to have a role this fall and in the future. But don't just think of him as a runner because he has a heck of a future as a passer. I, I think a bigger deal for out. Just know this, Alabama fans that, that are eager to see Ty. If Ty moves ahead of Milrow, Milrow's going to leave. And, and, and who could blame him? Uh, because Milrow is a starting quarterback at the Power Five level. He, he's not going to accept long-term being the backup his whole career. He's too good for that, and he should be starting somewhere, if not Alabama. So I, I think the way to play it is that Ty is the number two quarterback in four games, so he can maintain the red shirt. Jalen's the number two quarterback in the other games, assuming you can keep them all healthy. So I, I think we see both in terms of, okay, well, what would happen if Bryce got hurt and we had to go with a guy? Well, Milrow's got the year of experience, the year of maturity. Here's my, my guess in terms of an answer to that is early in the season, it would be Milrow. Late in the season, it might be Ty. Because I, I do think I do think Ty will pass him up, and I do think long-term Ty is the better quarterback. Uh, but hopefully you keep all three healthy. Hopefully all three contribute uh, to the team's success this fall. Uh, but, but uh, you know, the long and short of it is, despite that long rambling answer, I think uh, Ty and Milrow are sort of a 1A and 1B as the number two guy uh, because they're different. They both bring something different to the table, and you have the extra curveball of, hey, maybe we try to keep Ty's eligibility intact and only play him in four games. I think that you approach this in a very similar way to the way that you approached the quarterback depth chart last year. And what I mean by that is the young guy, the first year player, Jalen Milrow, a lot of us felt like he was the better player than, than Paul Tyson. He still was in a lot of ways, the number three quarterback. Now in the way that they brought them in, Paul Tyson would come in as the number two. He was listed as the number two. And then really Jalen Milrow in a lot of those games where the court backup quarterbacks were actually used, got put into the game, you know, Milrow ended up seeing a, a little bit more action. I would do something similar and I'll tell you why. And what I mean by that is now Jalen Milrow being the number two and Ty Simpson being the number three, try to get both of those guys into as many games as possible, get them experience. But I think with Milrow, I still think he's a very good player and I you know, while I love Ty Simpson, I think he's going to be a great quarterback for Alabama. In a lot of ways, I feel like he is the future. But Jalen Milrow is good enough where you want him to be in that quarterback battle come the spring. And if you allow a true freshman to pass him on the depth chart, 
then I think that he's probably gone. Well, the way I would do it, I'd list it. Bryce Young, Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson. I'd bring Jalen Milrow in second. I'd try to get Ty as much many reps here and there as possible. But if you can get to the spring and Bryce Young ends up leaving and both Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson both believe they're in a quarterback battle, I think it's going to make both of them better. I think that it's going to be good as far as if Jalen Milrow ends up winning the job, then you know he probably had to step up and really become a very good player to win it because we know that Ty Simpson has a lot, a lot of talent, and I believe in that talent. So I think that would probably be the way that I would technically approach it. But if an injury happened, and we talked about this last year, if something happens to Bryce, really a lot of us felt like Jalen Miro would have been the long-term guy. If something happens to Bryce this upcoming year, which hopefully it does not, but in that instance, I think that it would be possible that you would come to realize that Ty Simpson was actually the number two. He just wasn't listed as the number two, and he wasn't being used, or he wasn't the second, the first guy off the bench at quarterback. But at the same time, I don't know that for certainty, and Jalen Milrow is a very talented player, so don't want to discredit him too much. But the last question, because we've kind of gone long a little bit, we're going to talk a little bit about this other and want to talk about this a little bit, but we'll get into this on Monday, and we'll probably, you know, hope Monday or Tuesday, whenever we decide to record the podcast, but Johnson on Twitter, this is getting in more broad into the SEC West in general, not just Alabama. And he asked, how do you see the SEC West playing out next year and over the next three or four years with the way things are going at Auburn? Love the show and roll Todd roll. Boy, pretty. So, uh, so what this Johnson guy wants to do is predict the SEC for the next four years. Like that, that, uh, I, I, yeah, well, I, oh. from the, the way that I took away is kind of how do you see it playing out next year? Where do you see Auburn fitting in? And then long-term, you know, starting getting into like closer to half a decade, does, you know, LSU emerge with Brian Kelly as kind of the number two team, or do they take over? Is A&M about to take over Alabama in the SEC West in the next three or four years? You know, any kind of predictions like that, I guess, is where he's trying to go. But he also specifically mentioned Auburn. So this stuff that's going on with Brian Harson. Where do you see Auburn fitting into the mix, not only this next year, but in the next, you know, half decade? I think the short-term and long-term threat to Alabama in the West is Texas A&M. I mean, we all saw the recruiting class that Jimbo Fisher just put together this past group. Unbelievable. Some call it the greatest recruiting class of all time. I don't think it's going to be a one-off situation. I think a and is going to recruit like that going forward they're the real threat to Alabama in terms of putting together a talent level that can annually compete with Alabama already lost A&M last year. Uh, they're going to be preseason top five, top six this season. Uh, so A&M to me is both the short-term and the long-term threat. Auburn is no short-term threat at all. Uh, they won't be good this fall, whether the coaches Harson or Jeff Grimes or whoever it is that they hire Auburn just doesn't have enough talent on their roster. If they retain Harson, uh, I can see some of their players portaling out before the fall even starts. Um, they're going to have a mess of a recruiting year uh, with Harson or with Grimes, assuming Grimes is a hire, which is what, what I most often hear. Um, I, I just don't see Auburn as any sort of a threat. I do think LSU is going to be pretty good under Brian Kelly eventually. However, I, I see that being more of a slow and steady improvement. Um, I think if Lane Kiffin has a good year at Ole Miss this fall, I don't know how much longer he'll be at Ole Miss. I, I, I personally see Lane moving on uh, to a uh, job that has kind of a bigger stage than, 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 than he has in Oxford. I think Lane wants to play the big house. He wants to play Caesars in Vegas. He doesn't want to play a, a honky-tonk bar. He wants to play 
the big arenas. That's that's Lane. Uh, you know, I, I think Mississippi State, you already kind of know what you're getting there with, with a leech. Uh, he'll, be, he'll always be dangerous, but not enough talent to win 10 or 11 games, just dangerous. Uh, I do like what Sam Pittman has at Arkansas. Uh, they'll be very good this fall. They'll be a in vogue top 10, top 15 pick. And, and I can see them living up to that this year. Uh, long range depends on you know, can he recruit at, 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 a, at a higher level than he's recruiting right now? They, for him to maintain Arkansas as a, a really, you know, good winning SEC West program, he's going to have to recruit better than they have been so far. So that's a little bit of a question mark to me. But, but in terms of a threat to Alabama, it's Texas A&M. And, and in terms of what's going on at Auburn, uh, I, I see a short-term disaster and a long-term question mark, uh, depending on who they hire to replace Harson, whether they're hiring that guy in the next few days or after this season, uh, that guy will be cleaning up a mess. Think about how we were going to view the SEC West before all this stuff went down with Brian Harson, you know, or at least the way that I was viewing the SEC West. You got Nick Saban in Alabama. They're not going anywhere. You got Texas A&M, who I don't care what Jimbo Fisher says, they're you know, they're, they're using the, the deep pockets to help build a program, which is totally fine. It's legal. That's not a problem, but they are going to be in the mix. You've got Brian Kelly now with LSU. So you've got the, the combination of in-state recruiting, the brand with LSU, with a, you know, what is considered to be one of the better coaches in college football. You've got Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin. Right now, they're really having to target the transfer portal. They did finish with a top 25 class, but they're having to really hit the transfer portal, and they're utilizing that really well with Zach Evans and Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg and you know some other players. They've really filled out you know some holes on their roster, especially offensively, through the transfer portal. But with Lane Kiffin calling the plays, with them being able to bring in experienced players to – uh, you know, kind of if they have another good year there in Oxford for the second straight season, I think more high school recruits are going to want to start going there. And so I think from, the, you know, that side of things, the the more long-term players will start to creep into Oxford and they'll be able to remain relevant. We talk about Arkansas with Sam Pittman. They're doing a great job of utilizing the transfer portal. They're doing a great job of recruiting. Sam Pittman gets the most out of his guys. His players love playing for him. He's done a great job of accumulating a coaching staff, a good coaching staff, and retaining that coaching staff. And so they're going to be a problem not only next year, but I think the, in the next three or four years, like was asked. And then you start getting down there to, you know, Mike Leach. I feel like he's the the correct fit for Mississippi State. I think kind of zigging when everybody else is zagging. Not that, that everybody is – everybody, I think, is going more to a pass-happy style of offense in the SEC. But Mississippi State's kind of just – abandoning the run game, play good defense, throw the football 97 times a game. And I think that's just so different. And it's something that a lot of teams don't see uh, on a week to week basis that it's kind of the opposite of like the triple option, not to that degree, but it's just such a different offense than you'll see all season having a week to prepare for it. I think that allows Mississippi state and Mike Leach to not be a, an sec West contender really, but being a very solid bowl eligible team pretty much every year, maybe getting up there to eight wins, eight and four, you know, in the regular season every once in a while. And then you got Auburn. And even before all this dysfunction and all the, the curtain getting pulled back and it's boosters and how much control they have and Brian Harson and what he did do and what he didn't do, you weren't sure about Harson and his fit at Auburn. And so when you're comparing that to, in my opinion, far and away the toughest division in college football, I already felt like they were going to be at the bottom of the pack. And that's very 
interesting to say because if you assume, well, Auburn's going to be Auburn. They're not going to be at the bottom. They'll find a way to maybe finish fifth in the SEC West and have a, you know, a, a decent record, seven and five, eight and four. But really, when you look at it on paper, I'm way more confident in all those other six SEC West teams. I think they have the right coaches in place. But now, whether they get rid of Brian Harson or they don't, I think recruiting is going to suffer from this whole debacle more than it already was. Transfer portal players, guys are going to be second-guessing themselves as far as wanting to transfer to Auburn. You got guys who are going to be wanting to get out. Not really necessarily, even if Harson's retained, I think some guys may enter the transfer portal, but that could be simply because of the dysfunction and the fact that they just want to get out. Not necessarily Harson, even though some of them with the way some players have spoken about him, I could see a couple more wanting to leave if he ends up getting kept. But it just it feels like that they're way behind the pack, not only in, in 2021, but well beyond. I think with the way that things have gone and the meddling that's happened, you know, in a lot of ways, boosters and stuff have, have kept Texas from getting back to being one of the top programs in the country. We'll see what Sark can do with them, if they'll give him the ability and the, the kind of space to build that program. For Auburn, their boosters are not doing it. They don't want him. I think he's a lame duck coach. I don't think that they can afford to pay him the eighteen plus million dollars to get rid of him. So while I've heard, you know, a lot of people say that it's imminent that he's going to get, you know, relieved of his duties, I'm not buying that. I haven't been buying that. You know, unless they can find cause or unless he's willing to take less money, which he's not going to do. You know, especially if he feels like he's innocent of any sort of wrongdoing and there's nothing to uh, discover behind the scenes that he's done wrong. So. He's going to be there, but we're all, we're all going to there. And they'll play nice on the surface and say, oh, we believe in this guy. We're going to, if, if you could get rid of him, you could, you, but you can't afford to. And everybody knows that. So it's unfortunate because you kind of want that. And some Bama fans just want to watch the planes burn. You know, that's, that's the whole, they're totally fine with that. I've always, I want Tennessee to be good. I want Auburn to be good. I want it to mean something when Alabama is going into the Iron Bowl and they beat Auburn. You know, I don't want it to be, well, they're five and six going into this game. They're going to destroy under 28-point favorites. That's not fun to me. You know, it's whoever wins this game is going to the SEC championship. You know, those are the kind of games that I enjoy. So it's unfortunate. At least Tennessee is heading in the right direction, so we'll probably just swap out the competitive nature of those two rivalry games in LSU with Brian Kelly. I could see him making some comments and getting kind of the rivalry going between Alabama and LSU a little bit more so maybe we'll at least get to replace it on that front but just it's unfortunate where the Auburn program is heading and the west the way I see it playing out Alabama A&M and then depending on what happens with the Ole Miss LSU Ole Miss in that next tier along with Arkansas really really I would say Alabama tier one A&M tier two LSU Ole Miss and Arkansas all right there together in tier three uh, and any of those three teams could creep up into tier two and then you got Mississippi State in its own tier, and then you got Auburn in the bottom tier in its own. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even put it in there with Mississippi State. So that's my thoughts on it. Jimmy, do you got anything else before we hop out of here? No, no, I, that's we're sort of on the same page, especially in the in the short term. You know, it, it's college football can change so quickly. The transfer portal has changed how quickly you can build a contender. It used to take three recruiting cycles to change out your roster. Now it's only one or two. Because you can you can just radically change how good you can be by just bringing in 10, 12 guys from the portal. For instance, Ole Miss looked dead in the water to me after this past season. I felt most of uh, Ole Miss's offense, uh, which made them dangerous, had left. 
and they didn't have much. And then then Lane went in the portal and 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 basically completely replenished their offense. Um, that's just modern today football. So it's just kind of hard to uh, uh, predict four or five years in the future. But uh, but for today, uh, exactly as you laid out, I, I think Alabama one, A and M two. Um, you know, this upcoming fall, I like Arkansas at three, uh, maybe uh, maybe Ole Miss at four, LSU five, Mississippi State six, Auburn seven. That's Love just that kind of in that order. That and, and that's just how I see the league kind of going forward. And as for what five years from now will look like, I don't know because five years ago was uh, was twenty seventeen, <laughs> and uh, you know I I don't think in twenty seventeen we saw. Texas A&M legally spending 20 million on, on a recruiting class. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to predict what five years from now will look like. Nobody knows. Well, and, and first of all, I completely agree with that order for the 2022 season. Um, right. As far as the finish, I think you're spot on there. That's probably how I would rank them as well. But we also got to remember three to four years. It probably doesn't matter, does it, Jimmy? I mean, with Oklahoma and Texas coming into the SEC, is the SEC West even going to exist in three or four years? You know, and, and when you bring them in, is is uh, you know Auburn going to get shifted to the uh, to the East? You know, I mean, how are things going to get shaken up? Is it going to be a pod system? Is it going to be four divisions? So three to four years, I can take these programs and say where do I think they're going to be. But I can't tell you how the SEC West really is going to be, you know, is going to look because it might not exist, and we don't know who's all going to be in the SEC West. So that's another aspect of this to to consider. But Jimmy, great stuff, man. As always, great insight. Really appreciate you hopping on here with me. Uh, we'll be getting to more questions next week. I got a really good one that I wanted to talk about today, but it's just I, you know, I think it's going to take a little while to discuss. But then we also got some other really good ones as well. We always do. Uh, but Jimmy, I appreciate you hopping on here with me and we will talk again soon, brother. Hey, looking forward to it. Absolutely. All right. This has been another episode of the Bam on three show and I'm your host, Clint lamb. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.